Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have the star child, Kiss guitarist, Paul Stanley. At the time of this interview in 1996, Stanley was 44 years old and was promoting the Kiss reunion tour. In the interview, Stanley talks about the Kiss Army and its founder, Bill Starkey, the familiarity of playing with Ace Freely and Peter Chris, and how Kiss fans are the greatest in the world. No gratitude need be voiced. Your mind speaks to us. You're looking for someone, but it's not Kiss. <laughs> Sam's still in the park. This is ridiculous. <laughs> As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. is KISS, each sold separately, and you can put them in any crazy pose you want. That's the name, KISS, they may look insane, KISS, it rocks your game, it's KISS. KISS, each 12 and a half inch figure sold separately by Mego. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Where are you today? I'm in Toronto. Things going okay? That would be a lack of respect for how well things are going today. <laughs> they're going okay. I think it's common knowledge that they're not going okay. I think it's common knowledge that they're going amazingly well. Well, that's on the outside, but you never know how they're going inside. The closer you get, the better it looks. Well, um, the, the last time I saw you was in '74, and mm-hmm. so am I going to see? Uh, I, I'm going to see something better than I saw in '74. Absolutely. Really? Sure. This leaves that in the dust. Why? How? We're better. Musically, we're better, but more importantly, um, we're just better at what we do. Is that just from uh, from years of, uh, I, of practice? Or? Yeah, I, I guess it's each one of us has become better as an individual, and that goes into multiples. You know, tangentially, it multiplies when you put it together. It's kind of what happens on the Richter scale with an earthquake. Each number up is actually multiples of the one beneath it. So you put the four of us together, and you've got something pretty potent. Does it feel different on stage with Ace and, and Peter compared with, uh, let's say, Bruce and Eric? Or Absolutely. Like it's different, amazingly comfortable and familiar. It's as though we never stopped. I've always had you know, tremendous feelings for both Bruce and Eric, and they've been nothing but champs about us going out and doing this, but this is the foundation of everything that came after it. You know, this this monument, this uh, building that we've, we've built over the last 20 years of KISS has to be built on a pretty solid foundation, and Ace, Gene, P. 
Peter and myself are the ones who built that foundation. So it's solid and very familiar. You mentioned that everybody had to be clear-headed. Uh, yeah. How, how important was that? Was that the real key element? That well, it was a prerequisite. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think of this unless everybody was clear-headed. And that means not only the obvious abuses, you know, substance abuses and alcohol abuse. With fame comes every poison known to man, and you just pick yours. The obvious ones and the most fatal are the drugs and alcohol. But it's very easy to um, succumb and become addicted to a bunch of parasitic friends or hangers-on or business associates who will do everything from tell you that uh, you're the second coming to you know, telling you you should be making films. You forget sometimes that those people have their own agendas, either cash in their pockets, or you may be paying for the roof over their head, in, you know, in, in the most true sense. So, or you're paying their salary. As I said, you pick your poison. And what we had to make sure with this was that everybody was free of those and that everybody had reached a point where they would stop pointing fingers of blame at the people around them and look in the mirror and say, I did it. That, that was a prerequisite to everything. I mean, I, I uh, don't need the money, don't need the aggravation, and don't need to immerse myself in something that I struggled free of. No money's worth that. So this had to be on the proper terms. Did you personally avoid, like, most of that? I mean, uh, it seemed like, you know, I mean, I think Ace's uh, particular substance problems, and Peter's for that matter, are pretty well known. Were you pretty all right? I mean, Oh, yeah, you absolutely. You know, once you've seen somebody put a gun to their head and pull the trigger and you see the results, you're not exactly keen on doing it yourself unless you're a complete idiot. Yeah, I mean, drugs are suicide, and anybody who doesn't see that needs glasses. Is this a reunion a one-shot deal? I mean, are you guys together for the long haul? I have no idea. You know, we really, the, the only way to do this and enjoy it is to not think about the future. The future will come if we take this a day at a time. But in terms of recording or what goes beyond this tour, we have no idea. As long as this is fun for us, we'll do it. When it stops being fun, we'll go home. There's nothing more transparent to an audience than a band on stage that isn't getting along. Uh, and a band that, that is having fun is obvious too, do you think? It's absolutely, it's obvious and it's contagious. Yeah, you said that Bruce and Eric were, uh, were very, you know, were, were wonderful about this. I mean, do yeah. you, are, are, how do you leave it with them? I mean, do they... we, we really had to leave it. You know, we had just finished with them arguably the best studio album we'd done in 10 years. But this came along, and it was clearly the right time to do it. And we all sat down and talked about it. And in a perfect world, they would rather be on tour but they realize that this is something that we have to do, and as fans, they understand it. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they had to be KISS fans, sure. so they must really uh, appreciate this, too. Sure. Yeah. Let me see what else I want to ask you. Um, are you going to play Terre Haute, Indiana? Do you know? You know, we don't know right now. We are trying to play every arena 
possible. We're in the enviable position that we can't fill the demand for tickets in any city. In New York, we sold four nights at Madison Square Garden in 45 minutes. That's 60,000 tickets. And after that 45-minute period, the phones didn't stop or the demand stopped. That what stopped was our time availability to play New York. We could have done seven shows. Detroit was 40,000 people in about 40 minutes. We're really trying our best to play to as many people as possible. And right now we're trying to stay in arenas as opposed to going into stadiums, really for the benefit of the fans. Right now we're trying to do this in the classic sense, which was an arena tour. Clear up a couple of rumors for me. Sure. Would. Um, one is that uh, you were going to play, supposedly going to play two shows in Indianapolis, but the show, the first show, did not sell out quick enough for the band, and therefore that's why there's only one show here. Um, I would doubt that seriously. We are planning to return to most cities, but we're also in a tight time schedule because we leave for England the beginning of next week to headline the Monsters of Rock Festival over there. So we're trying to get as much under our belt as possible before we leave. Okay, I, and it sounded kind of absurd, but... Well, it's also absurd because if it sold out but not quick enough, that... What, what's the criteria for not quick enough? It only sold out in two hours instead of one. Right. You know, um, clearly if you sell a show out that quickly, there's a demand that goes beyond that. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. But uh, but you know how fans are. That's sure. That's what they say. I mean, I have a uh, uh, an acquaintance here who is getting who has scheduled his wedding to get uh, to be on August 9th, the day you will be here. And he called me up frantic because you were originally supposed to play here in July, got pushed to August 9th, and he was going to cancel his wedding to be at your show. So that's, you know that's the kind of fans that you and that, have. that's so great. You know, um, it's very easy for fans now to pay lip service and say they have the greatest fans in the world, but the line sounds awfully familiar and it rings a whole lot more true when it comes from us, because there are no fans like KISS fans. They wrote the book and they are the standard by which all other fans are judged. There's nobody more devoted, more honest. We have fans that stand by us, but make it clear to us when they're not keen on what we're doing. We don't want that blind kind of worship. Clearly, when one album outsells another or when one tour does better than another, the fans are telling us, you know, they, they're speaking and we listen. Another rumor, if you would, and that is that uh, that you guys are doing this basically because you wanted to help uh, Peter and Ace financially. Absolutely not. Again, if this weren't done with the right spirit, and with the right intent, it would never have happened. That never was an issue. Okay, two or three other things. One, have you, uh, I've been asking everybody I interview for another story. Have you been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and what do you think of the idea? I've not been there, and uh, it sounds awfully boring to me, and it sounds to me a complete contradiction to what rock and roll is all about. Rock and Roll Hall of Fames and Rock and Roll 
Hall of Fame dinners in black tie would probably make Elvis and a whole lot of other people roll over in their graves. Although Elvis has plenty to roll over about without work. Boom, boom. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll be in the thank lounge. Thank you very much. I'll, like to fall down, <laughs> I'll be playing in the lounge all <laughs> Anyway. Um, no, I, I, I find all that stuff irrelevant and completely, you know, of, of, of no interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, monuments to rock and roll and award dinners. It's leave that to like the friars and, you know, and the masons. So I so, thought rock and roll was was a reaction to all that. So you, in 1999, when uh, Kiss is eligible, is Kiss going to get in? That's not for me to say, but rest assured, I'm not losing sleep. Over it. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. <laughs> so I guess in, when you had a, a hit in Cleveland, uh, that's not going to be the place you spend your afternoons. I love Cleveland, yeah. but it has nothing. To, it has more to do with. What Cleveland has given me, it has little to do with awards. And if you wouldn't mind, would you recollect for me what you can about the founding of the Kiss Army here in Terre Haute? Um, uh, in, in the early days of the band, when we were not being played on radio and not being taken seriously, the fans under the direction of um, Bill, do you remember his last Bill name? Bill Starkey. Yeah. yeah, Bill Starkey decided that uh, an uprising was necessary and called the radio station and gave them a deadline to play KISS music by a certain hour or the troops would assemble around the radio station. And the radio station thought that this was very funny, but nothing to, to take seriously. Lo and behold, when the music wasn't played, the KISS Army arrived. Suffice to say, KISS music was heard in Terre Haute. You know, um, what has always been most important to us and what we've always hold, held dearest to us is that our fans are, are dedicated and willing to stand up for what they believe in. That beats any Rock and Roll Hall of Fame trophy or prime rib dinner, (laughs) you know, in in a penguin suit. I have 70 million of them, and it speaks a whole lot louder than some broiled chicken and cold vegetables at the Waldorf Astoria. I I, I actually ended up talking to Bill Starkey and wondering what was Bill like? Was he a pain in your ass or was he... Not at all. No? Okay. You know, that kind of devotion... You know, should be everybody's. I mean, that, that should be the worst that anybody ever gets. Who, what could, uh, what could a band want more than devoted fans? We've been living in a time now where where bands get up on stage and either look at their shoes or complain about how terrible life is. No wonder most music listeners are scratching their heads because it's sure not a reflection of any life that I know. Yeah, that's that's been pretty good for you. Yeah. Well, you know, life is good. Life is great. This is America. We all have an opportunity to live the American dream. And if your life isn't good, you have the ability to make it good. So your feeling about Bill is that he was a trailblazer in the early days 
of the battle for world domination. <laughs> and um, and uh, I, I guess I should ask you this, it, um, since he says, well, I mean, basically his feeling was man, he, had a, he had a nice ride with, with the band for a little while and uh, sort of feels like he should have gotten a, a a bit better treatment, a bit better piece of the action. And I guess you probably have a lot of people in, over the years who feel that way or maybe think that way too. Um, is he wrong or right? Um, I appreciate everything that Bill did. And of course I appreciate the spirit in which it was done. Okay. All right. Um, anything else going on with you, the tour, anything that you want me to let people in on that we haven't talked about? No, we're just leaving a heap of rubble behind us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's got to be great. It's got to feel good, man. People it's, are still... Uh... It's, it's the greatest, you know. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't be anywhere near satisfying to be playing for an audience that wanted to stroll down memory lane it wouldn't be anywhere near satisfying to play for an audience that wanted to relive its past as it is to play for the audience that we're playing for, which I'd say is overwhelmingly people who've never seen us and have heard the stories about us or seen old footage of us and really is only judging us by what they listen to today. And that's, that's how something has to stand up. It can't live on its past. The coolest thing about seeing it is time has stood still and you will see the band that you saw in 74. Sounds good. Listen, I appreciate your time. Glad things are going well and uh, I'll see you Friday night. Nice talking. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.